Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is my good buddy, uh, Jack Hahn. Jack, what's going on, man? Not too much. Um, I'm at McGill right now, so looking at some video and uh, tr- you know trying to figure things out for our team. You're always you're always working, man. Always every time I talk to you, you're always grinding. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's it's I had you on this summer for people that may or may not remember, and uh, since then you've uh, you've blown up a little bit. You got featured by the the hockey godfather Bob McKenzie. You you're writing some stuff now for the Blossoming Athletic, and uh, you're still, as you mentioned, working for the uh, University of McGill women's hockey team. Yep, I'm trying to stay busy and you know doing hockey full time now. So so very exciting. Got some um, some really good stuff coming up uh, at McGill. We're um, you know we're we're definitely gunning for a national title this year. We're we're all in, and uh, so hopefully we can we can execute. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's get into it because we've been kind of discussing back and forth uh, in our messages, sort of what we wanted to talk about here. And I think that it's a good opportunity for us to just get a, get a little bit nerdy and, and discuss systems and fundamentals and stuff like that, that we don't typically get to, you know, so much of it is, is just sort of numbers based analysis and we never really kind of get it to dive into the minutia of it. So I'm looking forward to having this chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that, you know, something that's near and dear to my heart is an area of the game that I feel like for a while was underappreciated, but now it's definitely starting to gain more traction and steam and, and recognition for how important it is as the product's evolving. And that's the transition game from, from your defensive zone to the neutral zone and hopefully all the way through to the offensive zone if you do it right. And I know that, you know, you have some thoughts on, um, certain four checks and, and sort of how to break those and, and, and how to get out of your zone cleanly. So, uh, I don't know, let's just like get, get into it. How do you think we should start this discussion? Um, you know, you, you mentioned that, that very good, uh, article about D to D passing from, from the Boston Bruins. Yep. Yeah. So that, 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 that. that was, uh, that was Fluto Shinzawa at the, uh, the Boston globe. I think it was a few weeks back and he basically just, kind of laid out uh the idea that the d2d pass in the defensive zone is becoming a bit phased out as teams are you know as as opposing teams are moving from the one two two four check to the two one two alternative uh it's making it 
you know, defensemen are doing that less and instead opting to either kind of get it out of the zone themselves or moving it up to their forward. Yeah. So, um, you know, excellent point. He uh, he wrote a really good article. I generally enjoy the things that that he writes about. And you know, if you think about um, forecheck schemes, you know, the two on two is really it's it's popular at almost every level of hockey now. And and how that works is um, you send your your first two forwards F one and F two, and they just go you know, balls out and uh, the, your F1 goes on the puck carrier full speed and your F2 goes on his partner full speed. And what you're trying to force is you want that defenseman with the puck to play the puck up the boards. Mm-hmm. And because what happens is in hockey, generally when you play the puck up the boards, you give a possession. Yep. So, so that that's really a great way to get the puck back. And at the same time, your F3, your, your one in that two, one, two, he'll kind of, he'll hang back. He'll read the play and if he can get a turnover, if he can get that puck and go, um, he'll do that, right? Whereas, um, you, know, the, you know, a few years ago, what was more popular, the 1-2-2, the two, two, is your first guy, your F1, cuts the ice in half, so he takes away that passing lane for the D to D. Your second player tries to go on the puck carry, and then, once again, your third guy is reading. But 2 on 2 is a little bit more dynamic, let's say. You know, you, you want to take time away, and, and that's what you'll see mostly when uh, you, you watch NHL hockey these days. So, so you think that most teams these days are sort of doing that more modern high F3 where they're kind of playing that sort of forecheck? I mean, it's it's really hard to say where um, that, that high F3 concept um, comes from because the F3 really, what, what he's doing is he's connecting the two forecheckers and a defenseman. Mm-hmm. So if your F3 becomes too aggressive, all of a sudden you have a huge gap and you can give up very easily an on that rush. Right. Whereas, you know, if you're if your F3 is nice and patient and he reads what's happening and he can get the puck back and he can start the attack. Well, I think this is the sort of stuff that really intrigues me because it is like the ultimate game of chess here. And I think that finding the most efficient ways to move from one point of the ice to the other without giving up the puck uh, is, is is huge. I mean, hockey already just by nature has so many of these 50-50 puck battles, especially deep in the zone along the boards that I think if you can limit the number of them when you already have the puck, like there's no need to kind of start another one of those rather than trying to just pass it off to your teammate and get something going that way. And, and I think that, you know, you watch a team like the penguins for example and we hear all about how this is a copycat league and and if someone's doing something well teams will eventually start to take it for themselves and i mean they've had a lot of success over the past year year or so under mike sullivan with this sort of uh breakout scheme where they basically just whoever retrieves the puck deep in his zone just flings it up in the air and lobs it into an open sheet of ice in the middle of the in the middle of the ice and just gets their speedy winger to get it and you know when you have guys like carl Hagelin, for example or phil kessel retrieving the puck i think your odds of of completing it successfully probably increase but i'm not sure how uh you know sustainable of an option that is for a lot of other teams out there that aren't blessed with those types of players yeah, I mean, you actually see quite a few teams doing that. You know, Montreal does it quite a bit. Maybe a little bit less now, and they're having a little bit more success. I find they're they're using lateral pass a little bit more. But you know, Calgary does it. Um, I think the Rangers do it quite a bit. Uh, let me think. I mean, you know, most teams will kind of go for that uh, that long pass option because they know that the other team is sending two four checkers. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that, you know, tactically, I find most teams play similar, but because of your, you know, some teams just don't have the talent, 
um, and they can't make it work for them. And that's how you see, you know, a lot of icings, a lot of uh, uncontrolled exits, you know, a, a fairly poor course at the end of the day if you don't have a good team. So, I mean, where are you at? Like, if you're if you're coaching one of these teams, would you... Like, I, I'm of two minds of it because on the one hand, I understand why teams are doing it. Sometimes it's out of necessity. You don't have any other options. And, you know, there are certain ways if you have the right players and you're doing it at the right times to increase your odds of, of successfully completing it. But, like, I, I, I'm never a proponent of just giving away the puck just for the sake of doing it. It seems like I understand that, you know, hockey is a conservative nature by sport and, and by, by, na- uh, conservative sport by nature and teams generally like to just get it out of their own zone and out of harm's way, uh, and kind of worry about stuff later. But I think that that's it'll eventually come back to bite you if you just keep giving the puck away off the boards like that yeah and i mean i i think tactically you know there's a there's probably like a most efficient way to play the game but it really depends on who you have and and how they prefer to play right because i'm sure that there's some people you know whether it's fans media or you know those working in hockey even who consider Chris Russell and Brian Campbell to be very similar players because they're, they're undersized guys who are lefties and, uh, you know, move the puck in a certain way. Right. But, you know, you and I both know that if you, if you tell Chris, um, Chris Russell to play the same way as Brian Campbell and vice versa, you know, you're probably not going to like the results. So I think if, and that's where we use analytics a lot at McGill is to, to evaluate our players and track their progress and see, you know, how can we help those players um, find themselves in good situations to, to express their skill sets. Yeah, I, I think that's something we don't really, as a community, spend enough time considering and mulling over when analyzing, you know, just the raw production of players. It's how <clears throat> the role and the skill set of the people they're interacting with and playing with most frequently and, and the system their coach is using affect these numbers. And I think it's a this is a perfect segue to a discussion we wanted to have about a guy like Gabriel Landeskog, for example, who has been in the headlines recently as a name the Avalanche are either openly shopping or if not, then they're at least fielding a high volume of calls on and uh he's an, an interesting player because you know he's always been a positive play play driver in the sense that his team gets a larger share of the shots whenever he's on the ice versus off of it and that's that's a good thing but i find it a little bit alarming that his individual shot rate for himself has cratered each season since his rookie year and we're at the point now where it's nearly half of what it was in that rookie season so i don't know it's always mm-hmm. tough to evaluate with guys like that how much of it is you know how much he's responsible for and how much of it is his game just not developing as much as we would have thought early on in his career and how much of it is just he's been put in a in a tricky situation and maybe it might be the players he's playing with i mean you know i i don't know his situation intimately but you know he's he's not getting old uh, he hasn't been well, we're all getting a bit older jack yeah yeah but you know he by <laughs> hockey even by hockey standards he's, he's still fairly young yeah. and he hasn't had any massive injuries that kind of prevents him from playing his game not, not that i'm aware of um but you know i mean if you look at colorado as a whole I, I mean you know that team as a whole has been trending down for what the past three four years yeah so yeah. so you know like it's like i would much rather look at the you know his surroundings than just say okay well he's trending down right 
Well, it's interesting because in that rookie season, he was playing a lot with a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, for example, who is uh, is more of like a, a prototypical center in terms of a guy that wants to distribute the puck and, and is is very good at retreating it. And I think that for playing with a guy like Landis Cog, that lended itself well to him being a, a high-volume shooter because he was put in a lot of situations to do so. But since then, he spent a lot of time with, you know, for a while he was playing with both Duchesne and McKinnon at the same time. And since he's been playing a lot with McKinnon and... I think that's an interesting discussion in and of itself. Like mm-hmm. if Landis Gog is just deferring a bit because, you know, he, he does sort of play that, that style of game where he can go and retrieve the puck and get it to a guy like McKinnon. But at the same time, I'm not sure if, if I was coaching that team, I would be telling him to do so considering that McKinnon's quietly been one of the least efficient volume shooters in the league since he came into the, into the NHL. So I think that, you know, how much of that is responsible for it is also an interesting thing to consider. Yeah, because the, the thing with McKinnon is, you know, like I, I, I had the opportunity, opportunity to watch him live uh, in December. And I mean, he's probably one of the best skaters I've ever seen, like, you know, on zone exit, zone entries. He's amazing. But once he gets into the offensive zone, I just find that he, he doesn't like he has a good shot, but it's not incredibly accurate. And I don't think he has that same nose for the, the scoring areas that Duchesne or even Aguilar still has. Mm. Well, it's tough because obviously you don't want to just write off a guy as, as saying this is just going to be the way everything's going to go for the rest of his career considering McKinnon's like 21 years old still. You'd like to think that he'll eventually figure it out and find better ways to use his speed and get into those areas. But like we're going on what three, almost four years now of him being like an 8.5% shooter. And, and you know, everyone's going to point to a guy like Evander Kane as also being a similar type of player where like you watch him and sometimes he scores these goals and you're like, he should be much more effective than he is offensively. But then you look at the numbers then the season and there's just, there's a, there's a gap there. Yeah. And for me, like, I don't really think a player's ability to get into positions to get shots and his ability to, to bury shots are necessarily you know, the same skill at all. Because mm-hmm. I think McKinnon, you know, he puts himself in good spots. He can carry the puck. He can win the battles. But if you just look at him from a shooting point of view, you know, his shot is, it's okay. It's it's nothing amazing. You know? Right. But I mean, he should conceivably not be like one of the worst shooters in the league, though. Like, I feel like even if he was like around league average, that would be a pretty dramatic improvement for, for his goal total. I mean, I don't have any difficulty believing that he's at least a league average shooter. So maybe it's just a case where, you know, magically next year he's going to shoot 10% and we're going to forget about this whole discussion. I hope you're right because I'm a fan. Um, It's so for a guy like Landis Cog, I mean, if you're, you know, a team like the Bruins has been rumored to be in on him or, or maybe the Kings or whoever, like, I wonder how much of it is one of these things where it's very correctable if you just put him in a better situation with with players that'll be more like but get him in a better position to succeed how much his his career will wind up kind of revitalizing itself or or whether it is just something where he's just going to be this type of player and and we just maybe overestimated how good he'd be early on i think so because you know if, if you're saying that he had a really good rookie year with ryan o'reilly who's you know, a pass-first player who's really good in transition, who's also really good at winning battles, and all of a sudden he's not playing against, he's not playing with that kind of player anymore, or Paul Statsy for that matter. Um, you know, if you if you just put him with a player like that, I, I have a very hard time believing that he that he's not going to improve. You know, magically, um, you know, be, being on a line that kind of plays more to his strength. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, just that entire concept of putting players in positions to succeed, that's something that uh, I know is near and dear to your heart as well. And, and you sort of touched on it at least briefly in your most recent uh, breakdown video when you were discussing Thomas Vanek and how he's been succeeding in Detroit just based on the the position they've put him into. And it's it's very similar with the drum of it beating regarding what Columbus has done with Sam Gagne this season. It's that... You know, these guys are basically hockey's equivalent of a designated hitter where you're not asking them to do much defensively and you're not really relying upon them much at 5 on 5. But once you get into uh, areas where you can score, particularly on the power play, you send them out there and they can actually be a net positive for you. Yeah, exactly. And I think hockey is trending more toward being a, a generalist kind of sport, you know, where it's it's very uh, like a lot of people, especially on Twitter, they always ask me, you know, like, when is total hockey going to happen? Like, when are we going to have five positionless players? Well, it's going to happen when all five players are good at roughly the same things, which means that, you know, like in that kind of world, like there is no place for a Thomas Vanek for, or for a Sam Gagne because, you know, they can't play the fast F1 role or they can't play the physical F2 role or, you know, they might not be smart enough defensively to play F3 or, you know, and they definitely can't play defense. So where are they going to play? Right? right. So, so it's kind of like we're, we're diverging a little bit here because um, if you look at a team like the Maple Leafs and I think they, they've done a really good job of, you know, getting the young players into offensive situations, but also teaching them how to play F3, how to, how to cover for defenseman who pinches, um, how to move as a five-man unit. So, so you know, when you watch the Leafs play, like, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see five guys who, if you didn't know them at all, like, you wouldn't know who's the fence and who's the forward. Hmm. You know, like, Jake Gardner will routinely go down deep in the zone, and, you know, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, or um, William Nylander, they're, they're getting better and better at playing the high F3 and staying up near the points and, and diving down only when there's an opportunity. Yeah, and I think that that's definitely like the future of the, of the league, right? As, as teams become yeah. smarter and evaluating and as, as, I mean, you know, players are just becoming more and more skilled and more and more versatile. And it makes sense that eventually, I don't know when that'll be. It seems like with hockey, it, it takes a long time for this stuff to sort of, for us to see these actual changes, meaningful ones, at least to take effect. So I don't know when it'll happen, but I think that eventually we'll, we'll, we'll basically just see that where it's just, you know, five, five guys who are just very interchangeable and, and all can do pretty much the same thing. Yeah, like if if you watch like high level minor hockey, or if you watch like U.S. high school hockey, like you'll see guys like you know the forwards can play defense, the defensemen can can jump up into the attack. Like like when I played high school hockey, like it wasn't a super high level, but we literally had guys who couldn't take a slap shot, or who couldn't pivot backwards, or who couldn't take a one timer, or who couldn't lift the puck in their backhands. You know, like but now like the kids. They're so good at, um, you know, learning from what they're seeing on TV, learning from YouTube, getting specialized um, skills coaching that you're seeing less and less of that. And and that's probably, you know, why the game is changing from a grassroots level as well. Yeah. Um, so, okay, something else I wanted to talk to you about while I still have you is this idea of playing slow versus fast and, and how uh, the, constru- the construction of your team should affect that. And I think that, you know, we, we still have very rough estimates of what quote unquote pace is because we don't have something like synergy stats or something like they have in basketball where we can, it can measure it more accurately. Instead, we're using stuff like shot rates, which is open mm-hmm. to a lot of error based on obviously score bias, but also like, 
you know, a team like the Arizona Coyotes, for example, is third or fourth in the league in, in terms of pace. If you look at shots for and against, and a lot of that is just because they're just getting absolutely buried in shots against, and you know, their own shots for aren't necessarily that high. So if you're a really bad team, you're probably going to wind up looking uh, like you're playing pretty fast, even though you might not actually be. But on 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 the other end of things, I think that an interesting team is the Canucks, where. You know, I think on most nights, it's fair to say that they're probably going to be the worst of the two teams, at least in terms of ability and, and skill throughout the lineup. But they're playing the slowest pace in the league right now this season. And I wonder if that is something, you know, they should be doing because it makes sort of intuitive sense that you decrease the number of meaningful events that are taking place. You increase the chances that, you know, you get a few bounces here or there and all of a sudden you opportunistically steal a win as opposed and you're while you're like decreasing your exposure to other teams skills. So I don't know if like, if you were coaching a team that you knew was going to be playing an uphill battle every night, like, is that something you'd want to sort of instill just kind of slowing the game down? and grinding it out as opposed to leaving leaving yourself open to kind of a back and forth track meet yeah like i don't know if any coaching staff consciously you know decides at the start of the year that okay we're going to play a slow paced game in terms of shots um certainly you have certain players let's say you know the sedines like they they like to cycle right like mm-hmm. when you cycle the puck nothing happens for from a shot point of view either for or against for a while you know because you're 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 on the you're on the sidewall for like 30 seconds you're moving the puck back and forth and i, I mean i can see it from that point of view um I, I don't really know about the rest of the lineup but uh, like on that note like one of the great coaching jobs i find in the in the modern NHL era, like maybe, you know, since we have analytics since, you know, 2007, I I think the greatest coaching job out of of any team in that era was um, what Babcock did his last two years in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that's uh, between 2013 and 2015. Correct. Yeah. So, so what happened there, you know, is, you know, they had a great team for many, many years and they played, you know, like a medium pace, maybe a little bit faster than average. But then in his last two years with Lidstrom gone and Zetterberg slowing down and Datsuk slowing down and Cromwell slowing down and, you know, like their core generally becoming older and not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, they started playing this really low event game and, you know, they maintained that Corsi kind of that positive Corsi and they were able to win a lot of games just by slowing things down. So, I mean, like when I watch them, they were just a generally a very sound team in all areas of the ice. You know, they had good D zone structure. Um, you know, they, had a, they played a high F three as well. Um, they were very disciplined. Um, but you know, you know, is there anything that really jumps out at me that says this team is consciously trying to play slow? I I don't know because it's a small gap. Well, I think, I think, you know, you're not necessarily telling your team like, oh, okay, we're going to go out there and, and take a bunch of shots here and really speed things up or, or we're going to just kind of hold the puck up against the boards for 40 seconds at a time and not let anything transpire. But I think, you know, you can sort of definitely see certain teams are more willing to open it up versus others. Maybe maybe that a lot of that is just sort of the, the, the chess pieces that you have and, and the way you can play with the guys you're afforded. But I think that, you know, you look across the league and they're – are, I feel like there's certain teams that would be better suited playing a different style of game than they are playing based on the players they have. Like you mentioned the Jets, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the Jets are like, I think they're 28th in the league in pace right now. And I mean, that, that makes no sense to me when you look at the lineup where they have all these young, skilled, fast guys, both on defense and up front. And they're just kind of grinding these games out. And that doesn't make sense to me considering that, they should like they on on most nights they should be um 
in an advantageous position to, to sort of play that fast game against their opponent. And I don't know if it's something Paul Maurice is doing consciously or, or what's going on there. I haven't really dug into it deeper, but I like that's one of the teams that really jumps off the page to me. Is it is it because they don't trust their goaltending by any chance? Because, you know, if I, if I coach a team and I didn't trust my goaltending, I'd probably lean toward playing that kind of style. Well, so it's a, it's interesting. I think that, you know, unless I'm I'm mistaken or I'm mixing it up, I think that the year they made the playoffs and they lost to the Ducks uh, was the year they, like, really slowed it down and Pavlik started playing better or started at least having num- better numbers. And uh, they, they, they succeeded for a while there. And I don't know, maybe they're trying to kind of recapture that. But I think that it's a little bit ill-advised, especially since I think that you know, while Connor Hellaboyk hasn't necessarily had the eye-popping numbers we would have expected him to have, like, he's perfectly fine, and at least you know that he's not a complete liability back there like Pavlik was for so long. So I think if I was coaching that team, there's a lot of hidden value there and just them kind of opening up the game and trying to get into a few more track meets here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you something that people ask me pretty frequently, and I think that you know, you're know you as qualified to answer this as, as anyone I know, considering it's your job. Uh, when you're watching tape, or how do you go about doing it? You, you, are there certain things you're looking for, or certain, you know, if you look at maybe trends that are going on in the numbers, and then you kind of go to the tape to see what's going on, or, or just what's your process in terms of breaking all of it down? Yeah, I think the stats are they're a really good first step for me because... It, I think I mentioned this before, but like the perfect video analyst has 500 pairs of eyes because, you know, otherwise you just can't see a big enough sample size when you just look at video. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is, you know, if, if I think, let's say if, if Winnipeg, I think is playing really slow, well, first I have to look at the stats to see whether they are playing really slow. Right. Right. Because if, if I just go straight to the tape, then um, I, I don't have enough time in the world to really determine whether they're playing slower than, let's say, Pittsburgh or Montreal. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, so, so um, yeah, so the public analytics databases I use a lot just to kind of narrow down what I want to look at. And then afterwards, you know, that gives me an idea of what I want to focus on. So, but I mean, are there certain things you're prioritizing or focusing on more than others or is it just sort of you go into it with an open mind and see where it takes you uh, it's it's hard to say it's it, depending on the area of play um you know i kind of have an idea of what most hl teams are able to do or prefer to do and mm-hmm. then you just try to figure out how often they get to do that because right. Right. the NHL is purely like I would say like everybody's able to execute everything but the difference is the best teams ex- execute it more often right so it's purely volume league in terms of you know what what kind of plays are able to generate well I, I, so I guess an interesting fo- like a relevant follow-up question to that or, or maybe a better way to put it is like is there <laughs> we've obviously made a lot of advancements over the past handful of years in terms of both stuff we know and stuff we recognize, but also just like merging all of these different uh, tools together with video analysis and, and data and, and everything and so on and so forth. Like, what do you think is the next frontier or the next sort of thing that we should be focusing on? Cause like, as I mentioned earlier, for, for, for me, um, you know, stuff like zone entries, for example, get, has gotten a lot of attention for a while now, but I think that, uh, improving uh, the way you actually exit your zone to begin with is something that is still has a lot of hidden value. Like if you could improve that or maximize the way you're doing it, or as you mentioned, the volume, just 
just how frequently you're able to succeed doing something uh, in that category. Like you could definitely improve your overall performance a lot. Is there is there something other than that that you're looking at that like you think that you know if if, mm-hmm. if, a, if a team got better at this or prioritized it a bit more or even on a player level, uh, it could do wonders for their overall output. Well, like one thing that's very salient for coaches um, is how often as a team you're able to switch sides um, on the ice. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you're breaking out, right? And you have a lot of four-check pressure coming in. What happens is most NHL teams will tend to want to play, you know, four skaters on one side and really overload that side of the ice. So as soon as you're able to kind of beat that pressure by moving the puck, you know, laterally D to D or, um, you know, reversing the puck, then all of a sudden you have a lot more open ice to work with. And and that's something that I think you would find some interesting things if you try to capture that, you know, see which teams are able to go cross ice better in the D zone um, to break out. And also obviously to go cross ice in the O zone to create scoring chances Mm -hmm. because the NHL players are so fast that, you know, most coaches are able to get their players to, you know, flood one side, one half of the ice with, big numbers but then as soon as you're able to kind of get to the other side then you know you start creating opportunities yeah yeah that makes sense um all right jack where can uh where can people find your work and and what can we expect from you moving forward i know that you you've been banging out these uh one minute videos pretty frequently and they're always uh, a must-see like what do you what do you have on tap um I don't know because I make them pretty much as a, you know, as a, whenever I feel like basis, you know, whenever I have some time from Miguel or, or even, you know, if there's something that I want to illustrate to our players or to our, co- to our coaching staff, I kind of, you know, I share that with the public, but also I, I use that internally with our coaching staff sometimes when I want to make a point. So, so that, that's helpful. Um, so my Twitter handle is at M L underscore H A N. Um, and uh, I write for the athletic on a, you know, once every two week basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, I'll, I'll be using like Maple Leafs uh, as an example for a lot of the, you know, the, the fairly simple tactical concepts that we have in hockey and tr- trying to tie it back as well to analytics and how that really drives results. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy how you uh, blend those things together. I particularly enjoy the uh, sort of real life analogies you use for some of this stuff. I, before I get you out of here, I mean, you, I feel like you need to share with the listeners. I remember you told me that story about like a, it was something about like horse racing or something and your grandfather or something like that and, and how uh, you could apply that to hockey. I, I kind of want you to share that with everyone before you go. I mean, it's kind of it's, it's like a long and complicated story if I just kind of share it like this. But um, Bob McKenzie, they're right about it. So, uh, so I'll send you that link and you can share it because <laughs> like written out, it makes a lot more sense. But basically, uh, this Chinese general about, I want to say, 3000 years ago, uh, he invented line matching, right? Like the hard line match. Yeah. Um, he invented that in a horse racing context. So. You know, so whoever invented line matching in hockey, you know, he he, he was probably he two, stole, he stole two thousand years too late. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he stole it from him. Yeah, like all the best ideas, uh, Jack. Man, it's uh, it was a pleasure. Hopefully, we can get you back on as the year goes along here and uh, break some. Break, well, we should, we should like break down some video together and just uh, kind of do some more outside the box stuff like this. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Talk soon. Thanks to meet you. All the best. 
Wanted to get to just one more bit of housekeeping before we do finally end this episode of the Hockey PDO cast. I uh, want to remind everyone one more time that if they've been following along and enjoying the episodes we've been putting out, uh, you can go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. It only takes a minute or two, but all of them are greatly appreciated and they definitely go a long way towards both bumping this podcast up the charts and keeping my bosses happy. Uh, I asked you guys to do so a few shows back and a bunch of you went ahead and did it and it was awesome to see, so I, I greatly appreciate that. If you're not using iTunes to listen to this podcast, that's totally cool too your downloads and listens all count the same and that's ultimately all that matters so as long as you keep listening i'll keep recording these and and, and talking away um and if you've got any particular guests you'd like to see appear on here in the coming weeks and months i'm always open to suggestions too so you can either just tweet at either dim filipovich or the hockey pdo cast on twitter or you can email in at dimitri.filipovich at gmail.com and we'll see if we can make it happen so anyways with that out of the way uh we'll be back later this week with another new episode and until then here's some outro music to put a bow on things the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast Thank you.